Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll be going through the Anime Expo Light and Funimation Con highlights. We'll also be talking about Warner Brothers Interactive being up for sale. After that, we'll get into how HBO Max has pushed Hulu to promote its adult animation. And as a bonus, we'll be talking about the state of Google Stadia in part two of our ongoing series. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Alright, so first up, we'll be getting into the Anime Expo Light and Funimation Con highlights. So, let me give a little bit of background on these two events. So, Anime Expo Light is the first virtual convention that Anime Expo has had. Normally, they would have a in-person convention in California right around the 4th of July holiday. But because of the COVID-19 pandemic, that wasn't feasible this year. So now... They have to have a virtual convention. And so I'm going to go over some of the highlights that I thought were interesting that were shared at Anime Expo Light. And so for me, you know, I'm always on the lookout for original content or new content being announced. So that was what interested me the most from Anime Expo Light, and we got some announcements from both Crunchyroll and Production IG, so I'll go over them. So Crunchyroll announced some new originals. They announced Tony Kawa, Over the Moon for You, which is coming out in fall 2020. They also announced So I'm a Spider, So What, which will be released in winter 2021, so around January timeframe. And then also they announced X-Arm, which is a fall 2020 release or later, depending on how the COVID-19 pandemic affects things. So of those three originals, X-Arm kind of speaks to me the most, just based on the poster and the info that we have on that series. So X-Arm, it's based on a manga of the same name. It centers on like a high school student named Akira Natsume, and his brain is saved when he's involved in a traffic accident, and it later becomes part of an advanced weapon. And so he cooperates with the police's X-Arm countermeasure division to regain his lost memories and body. So I think that's a pretty interesting concept. You know, maybe the cooperating with the police thing may not go over very well due to the protests against police brutality going on around the world. But 
I doubt that the people who created the anime in Japan foresaw there being a massive protest against police brutality going on. And so I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt here because animes usually produce like about two, three years in advance. And so, yeah, I think Crunchyroll is really starting to develop more and more originals and they're really pushing those originals to the forefront of their anime lineup and I think that's great and especially because Crunchyroll is available in so many countries so many people get to see it and also Crunchyroll dubs in other languages other than just English. So I think that they are probably the closest in competing with Netflix in that regard. And so I think the more originals Crunchyroll comes out with, the better. And I'm pretty excited to see X-Arm in particular. That's the one that appeals to me the most. I'm more of an action kind of person. But then we also had an announcement from Production IG, and they said that they are going to be collaborating with Toonami on a new project that will be announced at Comic-Con at Home, which is going to be taking place July 22nd through the 26th of 2020. And so I'm interested in hearing about what this project is as a Toonami fan, like hoping that we get some content released pretty soon-ish, but very hopeful for Toonami's future. And I think that them investing in more originals is great because Toonami being a cable block with cable being a kind of dying medium, I think that it's very important that Toonami invests in more originals, not just in collaboration with Japanese companies, but also also companies here domestically, whether it's through Adult Swim themselves or through Cartoon Network Studios, which is a sister company to Adult Swim, and Warner Brothers Animation, which is also a sister company to Adult Swim, and also partnering with Crunchyroll because they're also a sister company. And so I think that Toonami just investing in more originals will just get more people to watch and I think that'll be beneficial to them in the long term and it also gives them more rerun material if they ever run out of content like they are right now during the coronavirus pandemic so yeah those were the highlights for me from Anime Expo Lite and so now we're gonna get into Funimation Con and so Funimation has never hosted their own in-person convention. They've only hosted their online convention earlier this month. And that was due to, again, the coronavirus pandemic. 
it played out very well and they had some pretty good announcements too and so i hope to see funimation possibly doing an in-person con at some point though it'll probably be in the texas area let's be real because that's where they're based but i would still like them to explore that but moving on, let's get into the Funimation Con highlights, or at least the ones that I thought were interesting. And so one that a lot of people were talking about was that Funimation is going to be streaming The World Ends With You in 2021, and that's an anime based on a video game of the same name. And so I think that's the reason why a lot of people were um, talking about it, because there are people who played that game and enjoyed that game. So I'm interested in seeing it, and I hope that it's good. I mean, that's all I have to say about it. It looks good, but who knows whether the series will actually be good or not. But we'll see. And the next one I want to go through is that Funimation is collaborating with Aniplex, which is its sister company, to release Demon Slayer, the movie Mugen Train. And so they're going to be releasing that in theaters in the fall of 2020, assuming that we get through the coronavirus pandemic before then. I don't know. I mean, from the way that the U.S. is handling things, I don't think that we're going to get through that. And so I think that particular movie may be delayed and that's fine. Or, you know, they could just put it on Funimation's streaming service and, you know, make it like a timed exclusive or something like that. Or make it a limited time streaming thing where people can watch it at home if they pay for a Funimation subscription. And either way, Sony's getting your money <laughs> somehow. So you might as well just charge people while they're still at home and getting people to get a Funimation subscription in order to watch the Demon Slayer movie would be a pretty effective way to do that during a pandemic. A couple months ago, I had finished watching the English dub of Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba on Toonami. And so the movie was announced right after the run of the English dub completed, and yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what goes on in the Demon Slayer universe after the events of season one, because I haven't read the manga, and so no spoilers. <laughs> um, and then next up, we have some pretty big news that Funimation streaming service is expanding to Mexico and Brazil. Yeah, Mexico and Brazil are next up in Funimation's list of areas where they stream. And so that's fantastic because now not only do people in Mexico and Brazil get to more easily access Funimation anime, Funimation will also be dubbing series in Spanish and possibly Portuguese as well. And so they announced that Tokyo Ghoul Re would be getting a, a Spanish dub 
And we don't know if future titles will be getting Spanish dubs or not, but hopefully they will. But that's a wait and see kind of thing. But I'm happy that more people in the world are getting to more easily access anime. And I think that's a very great thing that's happening. And so Mexico, Brazil, enjoy your Funimation when it comes to you this fall. I think you'll have a pretty great time. And then last but not least, Right Stuff, which is a guest company at Funimation Con, they announced that Mobile Suit Gundam Narrative is going to be released in October 2020. And so Mobile Suit Gundam Narrative was announced as part of the Gundam 40th Anniversary Project by Sunrise. And while I do wish that Sunrise had announced Gundam Thunderbolt Season 3. I think that a narrative may be able to tide me over if Gundam Thunderbolt Season 3 ever releases. Please, Sunrise. Please, please, please. Okay. So, yeah, I would like to see Gundam Narrative because it is a sequel to Gundam Unicorn, which I watched on Toonami a few years back, and it was pretty enjoyable. I kind of enjoyed it, and so I think that I would like to see what Gundam Narrative brings to the table story-wise and what it adds to the Universal Century timeline. But yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. But yeah, that's going to be it for the Anime Expo Light and Funimation Con highlights. Was there anything from either of those two virtual conventions that you liked? Were there any announcements that you're more excited for than any of the ones that I had mentioned? Or even any of the ones that I did mention? Are you excited for any of those? Let me know on social media or on Discord because we're also on there. And yeah, that is going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be talking about Warner Brothers Interactive being up for sale. Then after that, we'll get into how HBO Max has pushed Hulu to promote its adult animation. And then is our bonus topic, the state of Google Stadia, part two. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So 
I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, and then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. Welcome back. And now it's time to get into Warner Brothers Interactive being up for sale. And so I'm going to just give a bit of background behind why this rumored sale is being talked about. So in 2018, AT&T bought out Time Warner and renamed it Warner Media. But in that Time Warner acquisition, AT&T got Warner Brothers... The film studio, which included Warner Brothers Interactive. And so because of that Time Warner acquisition, AT&T took on a lot of debt. And I think they're one of the most indebted companies in the world. So they're trying to offload some of that debt and... This is why Warner Brothers Interactive is rumored to be put up for sale. AT&T just has a lot of debt to pay off. And so um, a sale of Warner Brothers Interactive could offload that debt. And that's why this is happening. But in the rumors of Warner Brothers Interactive being up for sale, there have been some potential buyers that are interested in acquiring Warner Brothers Interactive mainly Take-Two Interactive, EA Electronic Arts, and also Activision Blizzard. And so those three companies have expressed interest in wanting to buy Warner Brothers Interactive. But also in recent weeks, there's been a new company coming into the mix for wanting to acquire Warner Brothers Interactive. And that company is Microsoft. So yes, Microsoft is also interested in buying out Warner Brothers Interactive in order to beef up its exclusives for the upcoming console generation with the Xbox Series X to better help it compete with the PS5. And so I think that between those companies that are interested in buying Warner Brothers Interactive, I think Microsoft is probably the more consumer-friendly choice, just because unlike the other studios that are interested in buying WB Interactive, Microsoft isn't nickel and diming their customers in the way of microtransactions in their games. But regardless, I think Microsoft being into the mix does shake things up a little bit because now it adds 
more interest to what the upcoming console generation would look like with Warner Brothers Interactive being under Microsoft. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing that we could probably discuss in our next PS5 versus Xbox Series X series, or the next part of that series. And so I think that other studios probably could take interest in it. One I could maybe see is Google. I think that they would... Or I think that it would benefit them to put their hat in the ring um, simply because unlike any of the other companies that I've mentioned, including Microsoft, that is interested in acquiring Warner Brothers Interactive, Google doesn't have any IPs or intellectual property in order to base video games off of. They have to license, or right now, they're trying to license them from other studios to create games exclusively for the Google Stadia cloud gaming platform. And so if there was any company that needs intellectual property in terms of gaming, I think Google definitely is that company. And I think they should really consider putting their hat in the ring to try and buy Warner Brothers Interactive because then it gives them access to developers and because it gives them access to the developers of many of the IPs that have made Warner Brothers Interactive so successful thus far, like Mortal Kombat, Scribblenauts, and so many others. And as a Stadia gamer, that is a pretty exciting concept for me. But I think that Google just has to express interest and also be willing to put up the investment for that. Because I think that with Google, they have the most to prove in the gaming industry because Google not only doesn't have a lot of IPs, but because of their history of killing off services that people have used, like Allo, Inbox, and many others, I think Google really has to show both consumers and developers that it's in the gaming industry for the long haul. And I think putting down money, especially up to $4 billion that AT&T is asking for, for Warner Brothers Interactive, Putting down that amount of money to invest in gaming would show gamers, at least the ones with some sense, and not the ones that are, you know, just blindly hating Stadia just to hate Stadia, that Google's in this for the long and it would be smart of Google to try and buy out Warner Brothers Interactive just so they can have access to developers and show that they're committed to Stadia and that it's here to stay. I think purchasing Warner Brothers Interactive would be a great way to just show people, hey, we know that we've killed services in the past, but we're here 
we've launched this product we believe in this product that's why we're investing in it and that's why we're investing in the talented developers at warner brothers interactive to show that we're in this for the long haul and yeah so hopefully maybe they'll take interest in that but we will see but if that doesn't happen then i'm hoping that microsoft gets it because they're the more consumer-friendly company than any of the other ones outside of Google. So what will the potential buyer, or what will the buyer, whoever that ends up being, get from the acquisition of Warner Brothers Interactive? Well, they'll get the IPs of, or they'll get access to the Mortal Kombat franchise, or they'll outright own the Mortal Kombat franchise, because that was part of Warner Brothers Interactive after they had bought it out from Midway. But then what's a bit more unknown is whether they'll get access to the properties that are based on Warner Brothers movies because a lot of Warner Brothers Interactive's game output is based on the movies that Warner Brothers, this film studio, produces like Harry Potter. You have the DC characters with Injustice and the Batman Arkham series. And then we also have the Middle Earth franchise so like lord of the rings and the hobbit which has produced like shadow of mordor games like that and we have mad max and so there are a lot of movie intellectual properties that warner brothers um, uses for their games that we're not sure would transfer over in a potential sale to a third-party company and so i think that would be pretty interesting to see if whatever company ends up buying warner brothers interactive ends up getting like some sort of exclusive license to the video games for certain warner brothers film ips i think that would be very interesting especially going into the next console generation because who knows what IPs that that buyer will end up using. But I do hope that, you know, if Microsoft gets it, that they're effectively able to utilize Warner Brothers IPs. If they get access to film IPs, that they're able to utilize those effectively. And also, if they get something like Mortal Kombat, that they're able to keep up the quality that Warner Brothers Interactive has continued to establish in their games. If Microsoft does end up getting it, it means that Sony would probably be out of getting Mortal Kombat games. So yeah, that would suck for PlayStation fans. But there are a lot of fighting games that um, are on PlayStation. So I mean, I think they'll be fine. But yeah, 
kind of rooting for Microsoft to get Warner Brothers Interactive if that actually is up for sale. But who knows? I mean, there's also a chance that whoever ends up getting Warner Brothers Interactive could just be buying up the company just to sit on those IPs. I mean, look at what Microsoft has done with Rare. I mean, that's kind of a con that, you know, I'd be worried about with Microsoft because Microsoft, especially with the Xbox One, they've shown that they haven't really utilized their intellectual property effectively. And so that's one worry that I would have with Microsoft. But other than that, I think that Warner Brothers Interactive being up for sale is pretty interesting and the details behind a potential sale are something to just speculate or there's a lot to speculate about that so what do you think do you think that a company like Activision Blizzard or EA or Take-Two would get it or do you think that Microsoft would get Warner Brothers Interactive Do you think that other studios should take interest in acquiring Warner Brothers Interactive? Like maybe Google. What do you think? I would like to know on social media or on Discord because we're also on there. So yeah, that is going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be talking about how HBO Max has pushed Hulu to promote its adult animation. And then after that, we'll get into our bonus topic, The State of Google Stadia, Part 2. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Welcome back. And now it's time to talk about how HBO Max has pushed Hulu to promote its adult animation. So I'm going to just give a bit of history behind the fight between Hulu and HBO Max for adult animation fans. So, at least in my experience, because of the topics that I'm interested in, which are animation and tech, which is kind of why you're here, I've been getting a lot of targeted advertising recently, particularly about Hulu, and it's catalog of adult animation and this wasn't a thing before HBO Max had launched so before HBO Max had launched back in May Hulu just wasn't really talking about its adult animation as much as it was after HBO Max's launch because HBO Max has a pretty strong catalog of adult animation under its belt. And so I think that with Hulu knowing that, that kind of pushed Hulu to try and promote it more, to try and differentiate Hulu's catalog of adult animated series from HBO Max's. And so let me give a bit of context to what Hulu is trying to compete against with HBO Max. So HBO Max's adult animation catalog 
it presents somewhat of a threat to Hulu, which is why they were advertising their adult animation to people after HBO Max's launch. And so now HBO Max has, of course, its Max Originals, and we actually did a watch party of the most recent Max Original adult animated comedy series, which is close enough. It was very funny. You had to be there. (laughs) I laughed quite a lot. But yeah, that was a show that people were waiting a very long time for. And and so HBO Max has that under its belt. And then also we have the HBO shows that HBO Max has access to. So we have things like Spawn, the animated series, and other HBO original animated series. And then we also have like Crunchyroll's curated catalog with, of course, the Crunchyroll originals like Inspector, Tower of God, which just recently hit HBO Max. And then also shows that Crunchyroll has acquired from other companies like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood from Aniplex. And then you also have things like Roroni Kenshin, Erased, and many other shows or many other anime that Crunchyroll is licensed from other people and doesn't necessarily own the full rights to. They only own the streaming rights to. And therefore, by proxy, HBO Max was able to access those. But then you also have the DC catalog, which HBO Max will be getting Harley Quinn very soon. So that'll be a pretty huge draw to HBO Max if those people don't have a DC Universe subscription. I know I don't, and I was waiting for Harley Quinn to hit HBO Max. If I didn't already watch season one on sci-fi, I would have just waited for it to hit HBO Max because I knew it was going to hit that streaming service at some point. But then last but not least, you have the coup de gras and probably the biggest draw to HBO Max's adult animation catalog, which is the Adult Swim catalog, which includes shows like Samurai Jack, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Harvey Birdman, The Boondocks, and then Black Dynamite, which is going to be coming soon because I've seen that in promos for HBO Max. Metalocalypse, which is on there right now. And so with all of those things, HBO Max has a very, very strong adult animation catalog and I think Hulu knows this and that's why it's trying to compete but I think the biggest way Hulu has tried to show off its adult animation catalog is a program that Hulu has dubbed the Haha Awards or in other words the Hilarious Animated Hulu Awards which pretty much tells you all you really need to know about the awards. It 
is comedy based, obviously, because all of the animated series that are being nominated are comedic in nature. And I can go through all of the shows that are being nominated. So from Fox, you have Duncanville, Bless the Hearts, Bob's Burgers, The Simpsons, and Family Guy. From Adult Swim, you have Rick and Morty, which is also on HBO Max, too. And then from FX on Hulu, or just FX, you have Archer and Cake, which are both pretty good. And then from TBS, you have American Dad. And then from Hulu's Originals and other networks, you have Solar Opposites, which is a Hulu original. You have Crossing Swords, which is also a Hulu original. And then you have Brickleberry, The Cleveland Show, Futurama, and King of the Hill. And so you have all these shows being nominated for the Ha Awards. And it's trying to show that Hulu is kind of the place for comedic adult animation. And we see that with a lot of these very big name animated comedies like Bob's Burgers, The Simpsons, Family Guy, Rick and Morty, Archer, American Dad. Futurama and King of the Hill, like all of those are pretty big names in not just the comedic animation genre, but just in animation in general. So I think Hulu's trying to use those titles to its advantage, not to mention Rick and Morty while they still have it and Warner Media just doesn't decide to just make it exclusively streaming on HBO Max, which I see them doing at some point. But yeah, I think that these awards are a pretty good way to showcase Hulu's adult animation, but it also highlights a very big weakness in Hulu's animation catalog. And that, of course, is the lack of serious-natured programming. And I don't mean anime, because Hulu has a partnership with Funimation for anime, for, I think, subtitled anime, like once they release in Japan. But in terms of just original, like American action, adult animation, wow. That's a lot of A words, but I think that they could do better in that regard. Like when you're competing against a service like HBO Max that has shows like Samurai Jack, Primal, and then also the Crunchyroll originals that'll be coming to it, not just the anime, but the ones that Crunchyroll Studios is producing. And then not to mention Netflix. And it shows like Castlevania and Seismanos and other shows that are coming down the pipeline. Like, it's pretty clear that Hulu needs to branch out into other genres of adult animation, like action and other things. And so I think this is a good start 
the hilarious animated Hulu Awards is a pretty good start, but I think they could also benefit from branching out into other genres in the animation medium. But what do you guys think? Do you think that Hulu could compete with HBO Max? and Netflix in the adult animation space? Or do you think that they should just stick with comedy because that's what they are good at or that's what they have the exclusives for? Let me know on social media and on Discord. Love to have that chat. But yeah, that is going to do it for this topic. Up next is our bonus topic, The State of Google Stadia Part 2. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Welcome back, and now it's time to get into our bonus topic, which is the state of Google Stadia Part 2. And so, a bit of background on this. Google just had their July 2020 Stadia Connect, and they had a lot of announcements to make at that event. So... I'm going to be going over those, but before I do that, I just wanted to give you guys like an update on Stadia since the last time I talked about it, which was in, I believe, episode four. So if you want to listen to that, I'll refer you to that episode. But in the time ever since, We've gotten quite a lot of games being featured on the platform. So, for instance, we had games like Get Packed, we've had Panzer Dragoon, we've had Little Nightmares, we've had Super Hot, and even for games that are exclusively on Stadia, we've had Wave Break, which I was excited for ever since the April 2020 Connect. And I've been trying to get better at that game because I haven't really played a lot of skateboarding games or really any skateboarding games. So this was quite a bit of a challenge to get used to, but I'm getting better at that game. (laughs) But that's a game that I've been spending a lot of time on, as well as another Stadia exclusive, which is Krayta which allows you to create game or create mini games within the game. So I've been playing other people's games. I haven't created a game for myself, but I have played a lot of other people's games and it's pretty fun. I think that they could get some more customization options for games so we can get a lot of different types of games. But Krayta, it's a pretty good game and plus it takes advantage of the feature click to play so you can share a link from the game Krata and then anyone you share it with can can join you in on that game so I mean that's pretty nice that was one of the features that Stadia had advertised that didn't get to consumers at launch 
but it is here now. So it's nice to see that. And we also have other games like Monster Boy, West of Loathing, and some other games that have come to Stadia ever since the April Connect. So we've also had some like features that improve the Stadia experience, like wireless controller support for Android phones and other features that have come to Stadia. And just like the click to play feature, that was another feature that wasn't available to consumers at launch, at least for for the Stadia controller and being linked to Android phones. Before then, you had to use a cable, but as of earlier this month, now you can connect to your Android phone wirelessly. So that is nice for people who just use the Stadia controller and not a Bluetooth controller from a third party or something like that. But yeah, now it can get into the July 2020 Stadia Connect. So there was a lot of hype in the Stadia community. And while we're small in number, I do think that there were a lot of high expectations of this Stadia Connect. And there were some people who ultimately ended up disappointed with the announcements that were made, but I didn't expect anything like E3 level, especially for a service that just came out eight months ago. So <laughs> expecting like an E3 level of a showcase, that's kind of a ridiculous expectation to begin with. But for what it was worth, I think the Stadia Connect did a pretty good job. Could they have done better? Sure. Could they have announced like new features or more AAA games? Sure, they could have. But I think we are getting quite a few AAA games from this Stadia Connect. And so I'm going to talk about those as well as the more indie titles that are coming out on Stadia. So first up, we have 2K Games. So Stadia has partnered with 2K Games to bring titles like the Mafia Trilogy, WWE 2K Battlegrounds, PGA Tour 2K21, and NBA 2K21. So I know NBA 2K20 was on Stadia, so it's nice that since that's a yearly release game, we're continuing to get NBA 2K. Even though I don't play that game, I'm sure that people who casually play sports games will enjoy these games like WWE, PGA, and NBA. And so next up, we have the first on Stadia titles, which are titles that have limited exclusivity to Stadia. And so they'll come out on other platforms at a later date. But the ones that were announced at the Stadia Connect are One Hand Clapping, which is available in early access now for, I believe, $2.99 on the Stadia Store. It's a very cheap game, but it does look very pretty. It looks very colorful and cute and all that stuff. So 
I think that would be a, an interesting game for me to try out. And then also Super Bomberman are online. And that title will be coming out, I believe, sometime in the fall. And that will take advantage of a feature called Crowdplay, which allows a streamer's audience to engage with the streamer's content just by allowing them to click a link in the video's description and that will launch the game that the streamer is playing and will allow the streamer's audience to participate in that game with the streamer. And so that's going to be interesting to see that play out on Super Bomberman R. And it also has like a 64 player mode so um, it allows more players to join in on the fun so i think that's pretty good and then you have like the existing games that are coming to stadia so these are games that exist on other platforms already or that will exist on other platforms that are coming to stadia either at a later time or at the same time as their launch on other platforms so we have dead by daylight which integrates crowd play and crowd choice so i already went through what crowd play was but crowd choice is where a streamer's audience gets to decide what happens in the streamer's game session so the way dead by daylight incorporates crowd choice is the crowd or the audience for the streamer gets to choose which side that the streamer plays on. So whether it's like the heroes or the villains, I don't know what sides Dead by Daylight has, but that's just an example. So yeah, it allows more engagement when watching streamers. So I think that'll be a pretty nice feature and that'll be a Stadia exclusive feature. Like for Dead by Daylight and Super Bomberman are online, crowd play and crowd choice will be Stadia exclusive features. So we also have Hello Neighbor and then Hello Neighbor Hide and Seek, which are coming to Stadia. And then you have the Hitman series. So I believe Hitman 1 is coming to Stadia in September, and that'll be a free title for pro subscribers so if you uh, sign up for a 30-day free trial in the month of September you'll get access to Hitman for Stadia free of charge for that month so just FYI but then you also have Sekiro Shadows Die Twice now this game it came out for other platforms like consoles, Xbox One, PS4, and PC as well. But with the version for those platforms, Activision was the publisher. So I don't know if Activision is going to be the publisher for the Stadia version of Sekiro Shadows Die Twice because Activision hasn't announced a partnership with Google Stadia at the moment of this recording. So I I don't know if Activision is going to publish that game or if From Software themselves, the developers of the game, are going to self-publish it to Stadia or if a third party is going to publish it. I don't know. 
but we'll have to wait and see on that. But then rounding out the existing games, which this is a game that doesn't exist yet, ironically, but is Serious Sam 4. Serious Sam 4 is the next installment of that Serious Sam franchise, which you can play the Serious Sam collection on Stadia. And if you were a pro member, Earlier this year, I think you got that game included with Pro. But Serious Sam 4 is going to be coming out next month, I believe, in August 2020 for PC and Stadia. So, yeah, the Stadia version will launch alongside the PC version, and then it'll come to consoles at a later date. And so, yeah, that's it for the existing games. And then... Finally, we have the partnerships, and in some cases, those partnerships are leading to exclusive games for Stadia. And so Stadia has announced partnerships with different companies to develop games exclusively for Stadia. Because, like I mentioned in the WB Interactive being up for sale topic. Google doesn't have like any intellectual property, so they're leaning on other companies to create games for Stadia at the moment as they build out their developer team. Personally, I would like Google to try and acquire WB Interactive, but we'll see about that. Anyway, Back to the partnerships. So first up, we have uh, Robot Entertainment. And so their game that they developed exclusively for Stadia is Orcs Must Die 3, which is available now on Stadia. And it's free of charge with a Stadia Pro membership. So you can sign up for Stadia and you can start playing that game right now because there are no downloads, there are no updates, there are no installs. You just click purchase the game and then you can play it within seconds. That's kind of the appeal of Stadia. But anyway, you also have Splash Damage, which is developing Outcasters. And I think that's scheduled to release sometime in the fall of 2020. And so both Orcs Must Die 3 and Outcasters will be published by Stadia Games and Entertainment, which is Google's first party studio. So these partnerships that I'm talking about right now will be second party partnerships that Google has contracted out companies to make games for Stadia. And, and then we have Harmonix, which developed the Rock Band series. And then we have Supermassive Games and Uppercut Games. So all of these studios have signed deals with Google to make games exclusively for Stadia. Who knows if any of these studios will end up being, or later being acquired by Google. We don't know yet, but we'll um, of course end up seeing that later on in the future. But yeah, that's it for the Stadia Connect announcements. What games are you excited for from the Stadia Connect? Do you think that Google should try and invest in more 
AAA games, or do you think that they're doing just fine with focusing more on the indies? Let me know what you think. Do you also think that anything exciting is going to be coming out of their partnerships with companies like Robot Entertainment, Splash Damage, Harmonix, and the other companies that I mentioned? Let me know. Let me know what games you're excited to play on Stadia. And let me know what you thought of the Stadia Connect on social media and on Discord. And we can continue the conversation there. But yeah, that's going to do it for this topic. Sandra Bland. Terrence Crutcher. Trayvon Martin. Philando Castile. Mike Brown. Alton Sterling. Ahmad Arbery, Walter Scott, Brianna Taylor, Eric Harris, George Floyd, Tony Robinson, Keith Childress, Romain Brisbane, Betty Jones, Tamir Rice, Kevin Matthews, Laquan McDonald, Michael Noel, Michael Brown Jr., Roy Nelson, Eric Garner. These are just some of the names of people who have been murdered by police and have gotten either a slap on the wrist or have gotten away with committing such a heinous crime scot-free. If you are an American, or even if you're not an American, you should be outraged by this, as I am. This cannot continue to happen, and it speaks to a very long history of racism and police brutality here in the United States of America and also in other countries as well. Police brutality is not a U.S. exclusive problem. It's happening around the globe. So how can you help stop this? Well, you can go and protest but be very peaceful about it, of course. And if you don't want to go to the protests, that's fine. You can also donate to many different charities that are helping with the cause. If you can't do that, you can also sign petitions to help the cause as well and share those petitions And for all of these suggestions that I've made, you can do all of them and encourage your friends and family to do the same. Because staying silent is staying complicit and we cannot stay complicit any longer. This change needs to happen now. And so I just want to leave you with this message. Black lives matter, always and forever. All lives cannot matter until black lives matter. Remember that. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And also, thank you for staying safe and staying at home and following the CDC and WHO guidelines. Also, if you have any questions or if you have any comments about the subjects that were talked about in this episode, let us know on our social media. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Thank you for listening once again. I am Chibeze Anakor, your host, signing off.